This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Joe DeMay has decades worth of coaching experience at various levels, including full-time youth academies, high school, college, and regular old American club soccer. Over the years, he's been able to develop a very specific game model that he now uses with his teams. And that game model didn't magically appear overnight. In fact, like many other coaches, he didn't have a game model or even know what a game model was when he first started coaching soccer. Since developing his game model, it's been a constant building and tinkering process that is still ongoing. So in this episode, Joe and I discuss how Mourinho introduced him to the idea of periodization, what a game model means to him, and we also talked about why it's important to have a clear vision, philosophy, and principles of play. You can connect with Joe on Twitter. He does a great job of sharing videos of his own work, uh, lots of lots of uh, video footage of his team's training and games, and he's also very active in discussions with other coaches on a regular basis. If you enjoy this episode and you want to continue your learning, you should check out the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program. It is a powerful and effective online coaching program for coaches who take their craft seriously and want to get the most out of themselves, their players, and their teams. When you sign up, you get 24-7 access to the proven 343 methodology that Brian Kleiben has spent decades developing and implementing with his own teams. Your membership will also include access to videos of Brian's real training sessions and games, plus ebooks, audio lessons, and classroom presentations that help you learn why this solution works for American soccer coaches. You're also instantly connected to the nationwide network of other ambitious, like-minded 343 coaches via the members-only forums. And everything is delivered to you in an easy-to-use online course that costs a fraction of the price of other licenses and courses that are out there. That means no time off work, no out-of-state trips, no hotels or travel expenses. You're just able to learn when you want and where you want. But the best part is that you're able to learn from a coach that has proven himself on the field and is responsible for developing international caliber players like Efra Alvarez, Alex Mendez, and Ulianez, just to name a few. If you're ready to accelerate your development as a coach and the development of your players and your teams, it makes sense for you to get access to the 343 Premium Membership Program. You can sign up and start doing that today. Just visit 343coaching.com. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. What's up, man? Not much. How are you doing? Good to hear your voice, dude. I see. You, I see. Yeah. You, I see your tweets all the time, but now I now I can put a tone to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear your voice all the time, so <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> that's funny. I know it's. I've, I've talked about it before, but people come up to me and, and they. I've never met him before, but they just start having a conversation with me like they know me, and it's because yeah. they've, they've listened to me talk to I don't know how many people now, but it's uh it's just it's it's a funny little phenomena. I don't, kind of kind of cool yeah uh, like a, a mini star <laughs> very very many yeah very many yeah, actually you know what 
when I was refereeing a few weeks ago at UC Santa Barbara, there was yeah. a group. There was a group of stu- I, I, I imagine they're students. Uh, there was a group of students in the fans or, or in the stands, probably like maybe five of them, six of them, and they knew everything about me. They were they yelling out my Twitter handle. They were calling out the the podcast. They even knew my sister's name, and wow. they were just heckling me as a, as an assistant referee. And I I it took everything in my power to not turn around and, and look and see who they were because I just I wanted to stay focused on the game. But that moment, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like maybe I shouldn't be talking about some of this stuff on the podcast. <laughs> like it's, it, it can get me in trouble. Uh, uh, those guys will find that stuff anywhere, man. Exactly. They'll find that stuff anywhere. So True. yeah, you're probably you're probably more open than uh, than most referees are for that sort yep. of abuse for anybody who wants to to, to go that route. So open season for sure <laughs> yeah hey if you ever want you know if you want to make it to the big time you got to be ready right like you see uh you see matches on tv and you see the supporters behind the ars just just lambasting them yep. and those guys are just like stone-faced yep nothing at all no reaction at all yep no it's uh it's an important part of refereeing actually and i, I see people talking about it all the time like you know, referees react poorly to the way that parents talk to them on the sidelines and and things like that. And and yeah, if you if you do want to take your refereeing to the next level, you have to have a, a, a incredible thick skin. And, oh yeah, and you have to know what warrants your reaction and what doesn't, or what what's out of place and what's not. And yeah, it, it takes a lot of uh, it takes a lot of mental Which, fortitude. It's difficult as well because the you know we talk about culture in the game and that's one thing we don't really talk about is the culture with referees and the, the culture of what's acceptable. I mean, we watch American sports, right? And you see basketball, football, you see coaches just absolutely ripping referees. And in this country, in soccer, we think it's it's not that way. I always hear people, it's a gentleman's game. I'm like, no, I'm sorry, that's rugby. <laughs> uh, you know, soccer is is a very blue collar. So I mean, and so you, you know, you watch the Champions League and like there's the famous. Uh, clip of, of Klopp when he's with Dortmund and they're playing Napoli and he's just absolutely infuriated with the fourth official and uh, you know and here it's just like there's not a, a lot of tolerance for it and I think a lot of coaches miss hey you can you can give some grief to a referee but you just have to go about it in the right way and it, it can't be constant and you've got to try to establish some rapport with that referee you know either consistently because you see that 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 referee all the time or before the match or even during the match, I just, I think it's something that uh, it's, it's a missed piece here for sure. Um, and I think it makes the referee's job tougher. And I think it makes the perception of coaches relationships with referees uh, different as well. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, it's something that I, I've always, I mean, I, I make sure that I know the rules because I can't argue with you as a referee if I don't really know the rules and you're going to find out pretty quickly if I know the rules or not. Um, you know, I'm going to open my mouth and say something that's going to give you as a, you know, as a good referee, you're going to know, yeah, that guy, he's talking on his ass. He doesn't really know. He thinks he knows the rules, but he doesn't really. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just always something that fascinated me, but I, I love talking to referees. I think that since I, I started doing it probably seven, eight years ago. So, and, and, it, and it changed. Um, it, it just changed the whole dynamic with them and understanding what referees think and just asking them, hey, I'm not arguing with you. What did you see there? Or, hey, we're like, 
was your position there like should you have been here or like what you know why were you in that position when the ball was in that situation and like the ar wasn't in a good spot just those types of questions i think and then you learn a lot and you start to figure out how referees think and then you don't have to you don't end up arguing with them quite as much uh, or you see their point of view so um yeah anyway that's a tangent yeah, no, one one of the so, things one one of the things I I actually picked up on pretty early when I started um when I started watching Brian uh, Brian Kleiben coach his team yeah. is that you know good call bad call didn't matter Brian's first reaction was always his first reaction was always to coach his players in that moment so if mm. the ball if the if if the call was against them okay cool he he might disagree with it in his head. But his first reaction, the first words out of his mouth were always to his players and what they should be doing next. And mm-hmm. it was never it was never an interaction with 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 the with the referee. Now, you know, two, three, four plays later, sure, like you know, I, I heard him I heard him talk to the referee or talk to the assistant referee, but always in that moment, it was always information to his players. And I and, yeah. and that always stuck with me. Um as a as a new- having a being in an environment where there's an assistant referee I love that environment because that's the, you know, it's easy to establish rapport with that person because they're right there. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the person you can go to and, Hey, can you talk to him or her at halftime and ask about this? Or can you, can you ask him to watch for this or ask her to watch for that? So, yeah. Uh, but that's, yeah, it's a, it's a great point of, you know, focus on your group. Yeah. You know, don't focus on, I mean, there's always the time where something happens and we all shout, Oh, referee, <laughs> but like, yeah. Of course. Um, no, it's a it's a it's a great observation. Yeah, as an assistant referee too, I I even tell coaches, um, a instead of making it your 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 disagreement public, just just come and talk to me. Don't don't yell mm-hmm. at the center referee. Don't don't make it a big show. Just if you have if you disagree with a call or anything, just come come say it. Come whisper it in my ear, and it's going to be a much better way to handle it. So that way, nobody else has to hear about it. Yeah, and, no, that's good. I've asked AR, like, what do you think about that one? And AR just look at me, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I get it. You can't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> we're on the same page, so yeah. All right, enough about refereeing. I do that enough. Yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, let's give people a, a proper a proper introduction to to you, where where you are, what you do. Um, and, and get a, get into a couple of the topics that we identified in, in text messages. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, so start, start with a, start with an introduction. Who are you and, and, and what do you do? Uh, uh, my name's Joe DeMay. I'm the, right now I work for St. Croix Soccer Club in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I'm the director of uh, college recruiting and I also coach the U16 girls team here so uh previously i was a academy director at shattuck st mary's in the girl development academy and prior to that i was the associate head coach at what is now purdue fort wayne university in fort wayne indiana and prior to that i spent 31 years in my hometown of youngstown ohio soccer hotbed of america um not really um (laughs) Uh, but yeah, um, so that's kind of a, sh- a very thumbnail look at where I've come from and what I've done. Youngstown, Ohio is actually the home of one of my favorite comedians, I think, as well, Tony Hinchcliffe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Uh, d- describe the describe the environment that you're working in at, at St. Croix, and if you can, maybe 
describe the environment that you were that you were in at Shattuck St. Mary's and sure the differences between the two maybe. Yeah, I mean Shattuck is its own animal. It's a residential academy, um, and so that has some great advantages in terms of um, you know what you can do with players, the the contact time you have with players, what you can do far beyond the field in terms of video, in terms of creating individual development plans, in terms of just getting to know players and, and understand what makes them tick. Um, obviously, it's a challenge. Uh, it was a challenge to get them to come to Minnesota uh, from all over the country uh, just because of the stereotype of the weather. Um, so, uh, But the facilities were fantastic. Um, you know, being in the development academy environment there on the girls' side was, was very different. It was obviously it's new with the girls still. Um, the boys have a, a great tradition on the boys' side and have sent uh, a number of players to Europe and to MLS academies more recently. So, um, so yeah, that was just its, its own animal. It was very much like a, a college environment where you had to recruit and you had to coach. And, you know, it was very, very intensive. Um, now I'm in a more traditional club environment. Um, the culture of the club is, is interesting. It's kind of about 30 minutes east of the metro, the cities, as we call them, Minneapolis-St. Paul. Um, and most of the staff has been there. Many of the staff have been there for 10 or more years. Um, so there's a very um, family type of culture there. Um, you know, and it's just the traditional... Uh, in Minnesota, it can be really different. Not many clubs venture too far outside of Minnesota too often. Um, this is one of the clubs that will go to some of the national showcases and, and regional showcases along with a, a small handful of other clubs. So, um, you know, soccer here is very, this is the way we've always done it. Uh, it's very summer. It can be very summer based. That's changing somewhat, but um, the, the the mentality has been in the past very town oriented. Um, and, and again, that's, that's kind of changed slowly, but surely, but uh, in some ways that, that club culture is, behind where it is in the rest of the country or in areas of the country, for instance, like Southern California. Yeah. Southern California, we have the luxury of, of playing pretty much, you know, 300 and probably 50 days out of the year. Um, right. Right. There's only, there's only and here, a few days I, that rain, rain affects us at all. Exactly. And, and we can do that here where there's plenty of, of indoor facilities, mostly domes with full size or close to full size fields, but obviously renting those is pretty, expensive so you end up with multiple teams on one field so the space that you can have the train can be uh smaller depending on the club and the team that you work for and the availability of dome space and all that kind of stuff so um you know for for the weather restrictions we do have um you know things operate pretty pretty well around here but yeah i mean it's a completely different environment um than than it is in uh, the sunny locale that you have <laughs> where the worst weather is, Oh, it's raining. It's terrible. <laughs> it's kind of cloudy today, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm so sorry for you. I know. Um, so w- one of the topics we identified that we, that we wanted to touch on is developing and implementing a game model. And right. I, I'm curious now when that became something, that, number one, that you were even aware it, aware of because i feel like you know coaches when they get into into soccer coaching here in america it's kind of a free-for-all at first and then you find Mm -hmm. you find your footing you find your little um niche and then and then you 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 dive deep into that um 
so at what point did did the word or the phrase or the idea of game model come to to your plate and how how did that kind of develop over time and i guess what i'm really curious about too is how you were able to to use your experience at Shattuck St. Mary's because it sounds like that's more of like a professional type environment and it's not something that coaches listening to this podcast are, are going to be familiar with like they're they're probably more familiar with the traditional twice a week uh maybe one or two games on the weekend um or twice a week with training and then one or two games on the weekend type of environment but you had more of like a full-on uh, academy setup where five days a week more contact you said so um i know that's kind of a, a lot but maybe uh maybe let's go back to what i originally wanted to ask was <laughs> when, when did the idea of a game model come come to your plate yeah and i'll preface it by saying uh some of this is yesterday i was accused of, of being on a high horse on twitter <laughs> um and 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 i can be at times but i i climbed <laughs> to get on top of that horse when I'm there and I fell many times. So anything I say, I'm not, I'm not an expert in, or I did not become an expert in overnight. It's, it's been over time and I've made plenty of mistakes along the way and continue to make mistakes all the time. Um, but I would say probably the Mourinho air, uh, when, when he came into prominence with Porto and then to Chelsea, that's when tactical periodization really became, became, uh, more known if you were a coach and you were really paying attention to things, um, so we're talking what, probably, uh, early 2000s, 2005, 2007, somewhere in there, I think. Um, so that would be the, like when it became, it came into my consciousness, like, Oh, what is this? Um, the challenges were from a tactical periodization standpoint, most resources were in Portuguese, uh, which I do not speak or read fluently. So, um, so you really re- had to dig around to kind of find out what that meant. Um, and so the idea of a game model was, okay, I, I understand the concept of it, but what does that actually mean? How do you really break down what it looks like? Uh, and slowly but surely, you know, you seek out some sources and you get some translations and, you know, you throw stuff into Google Translate and you can, you know, try to decipher exactly what it means uh, through some rough translations. But, uh, um, yeah, it, just, it was a process. It definitely was a process of of was and then really digging down deep into it um and then starting to implement it actually i would say right around 2010 2011 um on top of coaching at the university in fort wayne i also coached with a a really old german club been around since 1927 uh, old german guys taking care of the field so like a, a clubhouse where you could go in after training and grab a beer um in the clubhouse so um you know, it was that traditional model having two, three times a week of practice and really starting to think, okay, I only have these two or three times a week to achieve what I need to achieve and then go play games on the weekend. Um, this game model and this tactical periodization thing sounds like a way of really kind of pack your sessions um, with, with more content, more information in a way that's not going to necessarily overwhelm players so that they don't retain most of it. Um, or they'll at least be able to retain big chunks of it and then you can revisit it and, and keep layering things in. Um, and then when I did go to Shattuck, having that opportunity to work in that environment, you had to flesh things out because it was every day all for 10 months out of the year. And so you, you would learn, okay, you have to, uh, you need to replicate or you need to repeat things over and over again. You need to find ways so that it's still 
the players still stay engaged. And you as a coach stay engaged. You don't get bored with things and it just becomes robotic for you to coach them. Um, and so um, so that's kind of like my, my process of, of where it is. And then um, to be, uh, you know, the, the U.S. coaching courses, the U.S. soccer coaching education courses get some stick. And I, I was fortunate. I had really good experiences with them. Um, and I never took... I never went into them thinking I was going to learn a lot. I thought it was more about, okay, what I have, what knowledge I have in my head, I'm going to be asked to reorganize. Um, and so taking the new A, um, when that was introduced, um, really focused on developing your own individual game model, what your, what your principles of play were, um, what your team tasks were, what your group tasks were, what your small group tasks were, what your, your player tasks were, and how that fits into that game model. So, um, so that's where I am now. I'm, I'm, I really had to hone in on what I wanted individual players to execute. So, and therefore what we needed to teach them, um, in a training session in order to be able to play the way that we wanted to play on the weekend. Um, so, so that's kind of been the process. Um, I think that the big takeaway that I have at this point is that, you know, it designing a game model is, fairly i don't want to say it's easy but it's it, it's it's a starting point um but it's only something on paper it's only a theory it's only a philosophy it's only a vision in terms of execution it requires a lot more than that um and i think right now where a lot of people are with it is in that okay i have this game model on paper so i have a game model and there's a, there's a lot more to it than that i think Mourinho said in an interview one time anybody can put together a decent training session. It's just, uh, he did it in Portuguese. So he said, click a key, click a key, click a lead, you know, click here, click there. And boom, you can have a session like clock. You can have a session like Marine. You can have a session like Pep. Um, but you know, it's, it's a lot more than that. So, um, you know, trying to, uh, refine, you know, what, um, the big vision and philosophy that underpin that game model, but then what does that look like in actual fact? Uh, to the to the granular level of what piece of information am I am I asking of this player or am I providing to this player to become better and to execute what needs done to play in the manner that we want to play? How would you how would you describe the way that you want to play? Because I feel like that's kind of like a that's like a step one, right? That's the, that's the big vision. You just kind of have to put down a definition of this is how I want my teams to play. And then everything else needs to support that, that vision. Yeah. And, and, and to be like, and there's a rigidity in it and a, an adaptability to it as well. I think when sometimes we we're in a, we're in an age of ideologies, right? Like, you know, we look from a, a soccer coaching perspective, opposed versus unopposed. Um, let the game be the teacher and let's do drills that re like really break things down. You know, the same thing, I think if we look at society and politics, it's very ideological, ideological based. Um, and so for me, I, the, the way I want to play is, um, you know, I want to progress the ball through the thirds to arrive in advanced attacking areas. So that we can create goal scoring opportunities. Um, that's a very basic way of saying it. I think if you can, sum up your playing style in a couple sentences, that's good. Um, and from there you can start going into the detail. So, you know, for instance, we want to dig into that detail. I would, I would, I'd like to, I would, I would, the one word I did not add there, I want to arrive in those advanced attacking areas with control. 
Um, so that control could be, you know, the, uh, the dreaded tiki taka and we're going to get to, you know, we're going to a million death by a million passes and we're going to arrive in the attacking area. Or, you know, it could be, Hey, there's one direct ball over the top, uh, you know, Liverpool's goal this weekend, uh, with Mane ball over the top from the back breaks their line. Mane's in slots it in goal. Um, both of those are valid. Both of those can fall within the same game model. Um, it's just take recognizing uh, when to take advantage of what's available, um, which then I think in, as part of your game model is establishing cues for players. When you see this, look for this. If you do not see this, then look for that. Um, and um, so I think that's a, a big part of it as well is, is being able to, like I said, sum that up, but then you're going to have some flexibility within that. So if the cue's not there, and then a the kid knocks the big ball over the top, you can very easily go back to them and say, okay, why did you play that ball? Okay, well, I, I saw this. Okay, but the cues are this. Um, you know, their back line was dropping off and condensing the space between, you know, the, the offside line and their goalkeeper. That meant we had less space to get that ball into one of our players so therefore, that that cue's not present, so we don't play that ball. Or the space was there, but none of your teammates were looking to make a run in behind. And so when you played that ball, you had no teammates who were looking to make that run and get it behind. Therefore, we gave possession away to the other team and we lost control, um, trying to arrive in those advanced attacking areas. So, um, so you know, I, I think establishing those cues within your game model is is a is a pretty important aspect of it. One for yourself, and two to be able to talk to players when they make decisions. Okay. Why did you make that decision? What did you see? And then if you can, if you have the advantage of using video, uh, like you do in three, four, three, then you can look at those and say, okay, well, let's, let's, let's examine this. Uh, and you're, you're talking a little bit more objectively as opposed to, well, I saw this, but you saw that and we're going to agree to disagree. We can have a, a, a more referenced conversation. I'm glad that you that you brought up video because one of the questions that I had written down was how how do you actually show the cues to the players and and that can be done in a number of different ways right like on a on a whiteboard it can be done you know you know a walkthrough before the exercise starts it can be done in you know a, a PDF in an email to the team so I'm I'm curious like how how you uh, make the cues known to the players and, and, you know, here's option A, B, C, D, and, and here's all the different things that can happen from those situations. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, nowadays the more formats you can provide it in to players, the, the, the more likely you are being successful in getting that message through. Um, but I think the number one thing is just your session design um, and your, your script for your session. So what do you expect? Like you create this, session but what are you expecting to see in the session what what success do you want to see but then what problems do you do you foresee players having as well so you know we go back to that idea of hey can we knock a ball over their back line and just to penetrate in one pass okay so what are the cues we see so when we set up that session we want to give players the opportunity to see uh, those situations repeatedly uh, in a I mean again and then as you, you design that session, you know, you have to think about all the way through the session beginning to end clarity versus reality. So, you know, in, in the beginning, is it something a little bit more uh, lack of contrived or forced where you're going to have paint very clear pictures um, and you're only going to see a few scenarios. 
And then as you go along, are you going to open that up so players see a, a wider variety of scenarios that are more like the game so that that, that situation will be present, but it may not be as present as it was in that earlier stage of the session? Um, or are you trying to do something else and, and you want that more natural flow to the to the session and to the game earlier in your session? And so you maybe don't have as many contrived situations and you let it happen more naturally, but you build it in over a longer period of time. So you still get the repetitions, but maybe the, 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 the time it takes you to get those repetitions is longer. So, um, so I, that's the biggest one for me is, is when you're designing your session purposely, intentionally designing the activities to bring out what you want to see and then knowing what you're, what you're going to see or most likely going to see and then ahead of time saying, if you can't even, I'm, if I see this three times, I'm going to stop the session and I'm going to make this point to everybody. Or am I going to coach in the flow of the game? Am I going to let the activity go the first, for the first time and not really say anything? Maybe give some, some information in the session as the, the game goes on, break. You know, we're going to talk in between and then we're going to be more explicit about what we want to see. And then that second round of maybe we're playing is we're going to be more explicit and if we have to stop it we stop it so um i think that's the biggest one but video is definitely huge i think if you can send out you know talk to players before um about this is what's happening and this is what we want to see if you can give them that those two things because normally if you're working on a training chances are it's not happening as much as you want right now it's either not something you've covered or something you've covered that has not really been fully um you know, ingested by the group. So, um, so if you can show the, the video of this is what we'd like to see, this is what, what, uh, what, we, what we are seeing now. Um, I think that that goes a long way with players. Um, that's probably the right now video is they, they love that stuff. Um, and so if you could send that out before the session, maybe if you can review it as a group before the session, if you have that luxury, if you don't, can you send out individual clips to players where you can jot down notes and, you know, if you've got an iPad, you can always bring that uh, and go over video with maybe some individual players or, or player units. Um, so, you know, I think those are the two biggest formats just in the session itself and, and using video. You know, if you could use some PDF, some kids will read it. Some kids won't. We all know that. Um, you know, the kids who really have a hunger for it will probably read it. So you provide it to them. Uh, but expecting like, you know, maybe the 18th player on your roster to really get into it may or may not happen. Um, so... Um, but yeah, I think the session and the video, I think are the two biggest keys. One of the things that I had a lot of success with when I was coaching a girls high school team was showing them a video of an example of a high level team executing something that I wanted them to be doing on the field. Uh, and, and we would use that in, you know, in, in training or during the week before the game. And then during the game or after the game, I would take the video and I would, cut out the moments where they actually executed it or had an opportunity to execute it. And for whatever reason, there was a breakdown so they could actually see like, Hey, you know, we watched a video of this team doing it and here's a video of us doing it. And it looks very, very similar. Or, you know, here was the opportunity for us to do it and we made a bad pass or we made a, a wrong decision. And that's why it didn't ultimately work out for us. And I think having that high level example and then it's being able to see themselves doing it as well, uh, th those two things were very, very important to the development of that specific group of girls. And, and they seemed to, it seemed to click with them. 
more so than any other team I, I've had. And I can't remember his name at the moment. There's, uh, I'll, I'll dig it up and I'll, I'll link to it in the write-up of this podcast. But I, I interviewed a guy from Orlando City, um, one of the assistant coaches for, for their MLS team. And he started out in their video analysis department. And, and he mentioned something along the lines of reinforcing through video so that way they can see themselves, whether it's um, team training or, or even just individual technical training. And they could see where, where the breakdown was. Uh, it's just something, something in the brain just all of a sudden clicks. So um, I'll have to dig that up and, and link to that if people want to listen to that. But I'm curious if you ever uh, used an approach similar to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being able to clip, you know, from YouTube, you know, screen record uh, is is a big one. And you can send those clips out. I would send it out in like uh, WhatsApp or group media players all the time. Just little clips of things like, hey, we've been working on this or just other things that, you know, maybe would be inspirational. Like, hey, try this. Like, look at look what this player is doing. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously, um, you know, one we would use a lot. Um, we would there was a year when I was at, at Shattuck. Um, where we had a lot of, it was our U19 team. We had a lot of graduation and the players coming up, you know, basically I think that year, I think we had five players on the national team, different countries, not all the U S necessarily, but Germany, Finland, um, and the players coming up didn't have, I think they had one or two kids and they're like, well, we can never play that way. And so I, I clipped, uh, at the beginning of the year, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what this is how we want to play, and it was from that previous team. And you know, the beginning of the year is always rough because our preseason is really, really short, and uh, we treat the beginning part of the year like uh, we're, we're not going to worry about results too much at that that point because we just have limited time. Um, and so, about eight weeks later, we had taken clips from that new team, and we mashed them up with clips from the old team, and it was like seamless. It's like okay, here's an example of this combination play out on the flank um, from the old team. Hey, look, that looks almost identically like it uh, with our team, our current team. Um, so I think that's helpful. Uh, and then last year with the U15s, we would meet pregame and we would go through our match objectives and, hey, here's the things we want to accomplish. Um, and we were able to take out clips of them from previous games demonstrating those things so it's like hey you can do these things like these we're not asking you to do anything crazy we're not asking you to do anything you're, you're not capable of or not done before and so here's the clip so that's kind of how we would end we kind of stumbled across that one we did it the first maybe the second week of the season uh and that's all the kids could talk about as they were leaving they're like that was awesome i'm so i'm so pumped to play we need to do that for every game so it was like okay i guess we have to put that you know takes a little bit of extra work, but it's like, all right, I guess we have to do this for every game now if that's going to get you motivated to play the game and you're, it's going to help you understand, you know, what, what we're trying to do in this specific game. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's huge. I think if you're a coach and you're not utilizing video clips, um, you know, from whatever sources you can, I, I think it's a big miss for sure. Uh, 100%. Even, even just um, finding a player that plays the same position and showing them mm -hmm. like an all touches compilation and, and sharing that with, you know, the player that plays the 10 for your team. And, hey, like here's, here's Man City's 10 or here's, here's Barcelona's six. You know, here's an all touches compilation. What does your all touch compilation look like? Something, something along yep. those lines I think is, is, is super valuable. I actually had one of our alumna reach out to me. Uh, she's playing for the Algerian national team and she said, coach, uh, you know, my manager wants me to play the six. I'm not really sure what to do. And I said, okay, well, 
do you know how your manager wants you to play the six? And so she talked to him about, okay, like, what do you want me to do? And, and so then I just did that. I found clips of, of different players. You know, he wanted her to kind of distribute from deeper. So I'm like, oh, okay, here, check out Pirlo. Here's a, here's a couple compilations of Pirlo here. Check out Jorginho, you know, uh, you know, here's, here's some clips from him in terms of that, you know, um, and, and, you know, just sharing that. And, you know, for her, she was like, okay, that helps me understand a lot better now, you know, and the work's done for you. All you got to do is search, right? Like you don't have to put the clips together. Somebody else has done, already done that hard work for you. You just type in something on the Googler and away you go. <laughs> it's funny how that thing works, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, go, going back to designing, designing your training sessions and, and even to touch on a, a little bit about what you said earlier, that it's very ideological, and, and the way that we talk about the game on, on Twitter and, and how it's so divided and everybody kind of, you know, takes their stance and, and, and defends it um, however they want to defend it. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to get too much into that. Um, but, it, but it's interesting to me to, to kind of watch the, the different inter- interactions with people. And, and then you just see something that's just out in the open. So, so plain and so visible, like, a uh, uh, Pep Guardiola training session, and I, I tweeted out the other day. It's like, okay, you know, here's a Pep training session of them uh, building from from one phase into the next, in, in actually from one phase into the attacking phase, and no defenders, no anything, and it shows their little pattern that they go through and they score goals, and it looks exactly like the way that they play on the weekends, and it looks exactly like the goals that they score on the weekends. And I just something very simple, just very innocent tweet, just pointing that out. And Oh my God, the, the, the reactions to that were, were, were crazy. We're crazy. Oh, you don't know. You, you don't know what, what they're actually working on, or you don't know what it takes to, to do that with 10 year olds versus professionals. It's like, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything really. I'm just, <laughs> it's, it's, Hey, here's how he is training his team. And here's how his team is actually playing on the weekend. And they look very, very similar. What can we learn from that? is all I kind of wanted to point it out. And um, shit, now I forgot the question I wanted to ask after I made that that <laughs> speech. Um, well, I think I, I, I would say the one thing about like unopposed, I think this is about a game model in the first place. And this is just my way of looking at things. And, and there are many ways of looking at things, no doubt. But um, I think one of the things when we look at a game model and we start really breaking down the game, right? Like I, I said, we get to a granular level where we're talking about an individual player task. This is what I need you to do in this situation. This is what we, this is the expectation um, in this situation. I think we can become really rigid with that. Uh, and I think we can lose the rest of the game, right? Like, so we, we get so focused on this one aspect and we lose the rest of the game in it and so today you know you talk about designing a training session and okay um we're gonna look at you know we're gonna look at, at being a little bit more direct and playing in behind their back line we're gonna look at attacking the spaces behind their fullbacks behind their center backs well if that's all i'm focused on uh and i forget that hey when i do that and i stretch that defense out i'm actually i'm probably going to create some space in the midfield or potentially i'm going to create some space in the midfield for me to be able to play the balls into feet and then possess the ball and control the game that way uh, and if the opponent is taking away that option of going directly in behind because they're dropping off, then that will almost invariably happen. So now how are we going to play the game? If So if we just focus on that one piece and forget the rest and like, and, and yes, we want to focus that wants to be our primary focus is on 
getting the ball behind the fullbacks, behind the central defenders. But if we lose the rest of the context of the game, then we've lost something in, in teaching. So it's the same thing with the unopposed pattern. If we do the pattern because Pep did it and I see it in the video and I don't have an understanding of, of, of his principles or his game model or maybe there's a specific action that he's looking for in preparation for the match coming up, which we all know is definitely something to do, um, then, yeah, I'm going to be missing something. Um, but if I can look at that and go, okay, well, how can I adapt that to my game model? How can I adapt that to how what I'm doing? And then really not lose focus on the, or not lose focus on the fact that hey, there are other defenders. Hey, there are other pieces of information here that the players have to take into account, even though there are no defenders. Um, you know, we cannot lose the functional aspect. We cannot lose the idea, uh, the imagination of there is still an opponent here. I ask players and unopposed all the time. I need you to imagine where's a defender and then act accordingly. Um, you know, so it's. It, some players are good at it. Some players are not very good at it. Uh, but it's something that you can prompt players. Um, so I, I just think from the game model and session design perspective, um, you, you can't you, – you, you're obviously there's a focus in your session, a focus to your activities, but you can't lose the rest of the game. Um, and I think that's something when we get into the, you know, as an example, the opposed versus unopposed, I, I think people tend to get really stuck on the ideological part um, or really – focused on the actual task that's taking place without remembering that there's a whole, like a whole other part to this that needs to be taken into account. So if you're doing an unopposed exercise for the sake of doing it, cause you saw Pep do it in a video. Yeah. That's probably not the best activity you could be choosing right now. But if you see that and it inspires you and you really dig into the, the different, you know, skill aspects of it and, and also putting layering in your, your tactical, vision for how the game needs to be played and how that translates into your game model and how that translates into that particular activity, then I think you're on solid ground. Um, and, and that's what coaches need to be taking into account. And again, I go back to how I open this. I certainly made the mistakes where I saw somebody do something and I copied it and, you know, it worked to a degree, but then I would be left scratching my head on, on the weekend going, well, it didn't quite look that way in the game or, I never actually saw that in the game. How come the kids didn't remember it? You know, what's the problem? And, you know, as you get older and as you get more experience, you look at it and go, okay, I'm not seeing it on the field on the weekend. What's, what's the problem with my session? What am I not doing in my session that is not translating to the players being able to execute it on the weekend? So I think that's another piece of it as well as that self-reflection. If you're not seeing what you expect to see, um, you know, why is that? Maybe it's the players, but there's, probably a really good chance that, that you have some involvement at some point as well. And in a very good way to figure out what's going wrong to, to go back to it is video. So if, if you're not recording your training sessions and you're not recording your games and you're not rewatching all of that, then you're, you're really hurting yourself and you might in your head think that, your players are doing something or playing a certain way, or you might have this idea or this vision in your head that isn't really translating to the players themselves. So you might be seeing something that, that is actually not happening. But as soon as you put a video on, you're like, Oh wow. Like we aren't connecting more than four passes in a row. Oh, I thought, I thought we were playing. I thought we were playing possession <laughs> soccer. I thought we were playing like Barcelona. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I think also even before that, I think a, a, 
if you don't have some really clear objectives in your head mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. about what you're expecting from that game mm-hmm. and then being able to focus on that in the game, because again, it, you know, if you go into a training session without a real clear plan, then you can get, you can go down a rabbit hole real quickly on something that, you know, we're on the, the you know, we're, we're focused on attacking today. And I spent, you know, 30 minutes talking about defending. Um, now that might be necessary because your defenders aren't making it realistic, but chances are you probably just saw something reacted to it and then just took off with it. Same thing in a match. If you don't have a clear idea of what you're, you're, you want to see, then your, your, your chances of going off on a tangent are really high. And then your chances of giving players information that does not help them because you, before the game laid out, Hey, here's our objectives. Here's what we're trying to do. And then, you know, most of your information has to deal with things other than, you know, those key points. Uh, it's going to be confusing for them. Um, and then you're going to end up confusing yourself and think you so like you said, you, you think you saw something, but in actual fact, if you go watch a video, you're like that. I, I don't remember the game looking like this at all. Am I watching <laughs> the right game? Um, I, I'm, I'm at, I'm at a point where I don't, really like when you look at a goal what's the first thing you do you, you, you tend to assign blame oh it's that player's fault oh, this happened and you can certainly do that but like i very rarely will say that immediately after the game i say i need to go watch the video because chances are yeah a, there is a player who made a mistake in an area of the field but that player might have been forced into that situation you know based on you know previous occurrences that happened in the you know previous 10 seconds five seconds whatever 30 seconds maybe where, you know, Hey, we had opportunities to deal with that way before that. And then we ended up putting this player in a bad position. They, you know, don't deal with it. And we're all looking at him or her saying, well, that goes your fault. Well, it actually started with the forwards who, you know, the nine was able to go press their center back and just didn't. And then they were able to get out too easily from there. And and we were just disorganized. So, um, yeah, I think the video is, is a big one. I've definitely learned to be, a little less judgmental in the moment um, because of it. I always kind of say, I just want to go watch the video. Just let me see the video first before I go too far into this, uh, into this, you know, debrief immediately after the game or even after the training session. No, exactly. The, the game model seems to be the, the glue that kind of binds everything together. So every, every training session, every game, everything that, that takes place within the team should, should kind of relate or, or uh, refer back to your, your vision of how you want to play or your game model. And it sounds like, um, it sounds like, you know, at some point that became the, like a, like a staple or a focus for you. How, how has that, evolved over time for you so what what maybe what did it start out as and then and how did that evolve or, or what what did you think it was and, and what is it now yeah i mean i think we all felt like if we were if we were alive and conscious we, we, we most of us probably fell in love with peps barcelona right i mean uh and that was it that was the end all be all uh let's let's play like that and and if you could i think i don't think every coach would i'm sure there are coaches who win it but if we if we all could play that way uh we we, we would um, but I mean, if you look at it, very few teams who tried to replicate that have been able to play that exact way. It was just that particular group. And I think that's a lesson in that you have to be somewhat adaptable, right? Um, I, I think if you look at Pep, you're going to say you have some really clear 
there's a clear vision, philosophy, and principles that kind of underpin everything he, he did. But the way that his Bayern team played was different than how that, that Barcelona group played. Um, and how the City group play now is different than those two versions as well. So, um, you know, I, so I started out as like, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to be that, right? I wanted to play, you know, that, that Barcelona way. And I, I think um, as you get, as you go through it, uh, you know, I still, I still want to, I still want to hold the ball. I still want to possess the ball. I still want to be able to control the game. Um, that's kind of evolved to, okay, well, I'm not always going to be able to have the ball, especially when you play it at a, at a higher level. So can I control the game without the ball and how do we do that? Um, but um, so, yeah, I think I, I, I fell into those traps that the, 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 the cool hipster things, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to possess the ball, you know, ad nauseum. And when we lose it, I want to press like a madman, you know? Um, and, and now it's just kind of evolved in, you know, somewhat maybe a little bit more uh, pragmatic. Um, that, and sometimes people can kind of bristle at that word, but, um, you know, I think, uh, and adaptable, um, but, um, uh, I think that that would be, uh, now, now I still, again, I still want to have the ball. I still want to press in certain areas, but like how to trigger the press, I think is more, I, I guess it would say it was like, just maybe from a defending standpoint, a little bit more, uh, sophisticated or complex. It's not highly sophisticated, but it's not just press to go press. It's, Hey, how are we going to set up? Where are we going to press? Why are we going to press in that area? What are the cues? What are the triggers that uh, are going to instigate that press? Uh, who's going to be involved? Um, and so we will press, but it, it, you know, again, playing in a DA was different because of the substitution rules. So you had to, you know, you had to help players understand how to how to manage their energy for 90 minutes when they were not used to doing that because you could simply sub them off and you know put them back on after a rest. Um, from a possession standpoint, I still want to control the game. I I, I want to, you know, around the back, as soon as we have, uh, we'll keep it around the back until we can find that opening. As soon as we can find that opening to play forward into the midfield or even behind them, or we want to accelerate the game quickly, but we want to arrive in that area with, in that attacking third, you know, with control of the ball. We don't want to just put it down there and, and put it into the, to the, to the mixer, so to speak. So um, I, I think, it, I, I guess it's just, I don't know what the right word is, but it, it has evolved, but it, like the, the the same principles and vision underpin everything. Um, how do we control the match with the ball? How do we control the match without the ball? Um, you know, it's not as important to me now to, you know, have, I used to keep pass count, you know, and oh, we had, you know, X hundred passes, 500 passes. That's great. What was the score? You know, uh, at the end of the day, you got to try to win the game or, yeah, we passed the ball really well, but where were our passes? Well, most of them were around the back and into the midfielder, and we didn't really go very anywhere. So, okay. Um, yeah, so you have to look at that and, and start really, again, kind of going into the match saying, what are we looking for? Like, you know, what's our objective? Are we trying to find our forwards' feet? How many times can we get our wingers in behind their fullbacks? What's the objective? So I think just maybe being more specific in how our approach or my approach to the game uh, or training leading up to that game, I guess would be. I don't know if that's been a very clear answer or not, but uh, I, I just think I think if you if you're not as a coach constantly reviewing and, and refining what you think about the game and how you want to play the game, then you're going to end up being, you know, stuck and behind and maybe not super energetic about the game anymore either. Like you're just going to kind of go. This is what we've always done, so it's easy. You know, I just throw it out there and it'll be be done with it. 
in a in a very simplistic way i'll kind of sum up how how brian has always talked about his i guess he's never called it a game model but i guess it, it kind of fits into that category but it's basically just having having examples of how he wants the team to play and in different moments of the game and so what he's always said is you know possess like barcelona counterattack like real madrid and and um press like chile and mm. uh, and so like that those were like his kind of guiding north stars for for years and years and years and and i think it was just last year i interviewed him again for um i can't remember what it was for but he he's like hey like you know, it's evolved. I, I, I want to add in one more. So possess like Barcelona, counterattack like Real Madrid, uh, press like Chile, and uh, defend like Atletico Madrid. And, and mm, yeah. So you know, and, and there there's specific things in there, right? So possess like Pep's Barcelona, counterattack like Mourinho's Real Madrid, press like Bielsa's Chile, and uh, Simeone's. Atletico Madrid defend like Simeone's Atletico Madrid, so like they got very specific, right? And, yeah. But, but those were the guiding, uh, the guide or the guidelines in each of those different phases of the game. And then from there, like you mentioned earlier, you drill down and you get to the granular granular level. And and what Brian always used to say too is, you know, to to the blade of grass that the players are standing on. Like that's how far mm, you would yep. plan and everything in between. So you know, it it I think it's important yeah, I, for I, yeah. Go ahead. No, I had a friend of mine who uh, was visited, got to visit Arsenal, uh, like in, I think, like Arsenal's like third or fourth year there, and Tony Adams center back, and he stops this. Arsenal stops the session and says, "Tony, you're way out of position," and and you know Adams looks at him like, "Oh, okay, like I thought I was in the right." And, and Arsenal just takes him by the shoulders and tilts his shoulders to the right and says, "Now you're good." And that was it. Like it was like you're just your body position was wrong. That's it. But he, you know, in Wenger's mind at that level, you're way out of position. And like when you think about it, it's like yeah, that can be the, that can be the margin at that level. So yep. Um, but the other thing about what Brian said, I I, I I like as well because I think that's one of the things. Again, we go back to the ideal ideology aspect, and I want to play like Pep. Okay. You know, there's some things that Pep does that I really like, and there's some things that Pep has done that I not necessarily been a fan of. Um, and there's the, uh, you know, you, you know, Simeone, I love Simeone. I mean, you talk about where they are in the ideological spectrum of things, you know, they're, they're not very close to one another, but, you know, I think that's something that as coaches, sometimes we get, you know, trapped in, you know, sorry ball or, you know, Conte or whatever. And I'm going to adapt that. I'm going to take that, swallow that system whole. And that's going to, you know, be the guiding principle for my game model. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to take this influence from this person. I'm going to take this influence from this person. I'm going to take this influence from there. And, and I'm going to create my own version of, of my vision of the game. Instead of just saying, my vision is Klopp's vision. My vision is Bielsa's vision. My vision is, you know, whoever. Um, I think that's an important aspect is be open to everybody's ideas. Um, and, you know, uh, try figure out what fits and what doesn't fit for you in that model. Because I, I certainly take, um, you know, and I go through phases where like, I, I'm going to read everything I can about, you know, Mourinho and how he's done things. Or, you know, I think we've all read the pep books and, you know, you just, if you're, if you're open 
to those. And then you can sift through it and see what makes sense for how you see the game, how you want the game to be played. Uh, I think you're going to be a better coach for that. I think if you just, if you get stuck on one way, one person, one manager, one style, you know, I think it's going to be somewhat limiting. And I think you're going to always maybe not feel as fulfilled because, you know, that's that person's, that's, that's their way of playing. Like you're just not going to, you're not going to replicate it. It's, it's unique to that individual. So, um, and, so I, you know, and that, that individual that group of, of players. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the context, right? I think, yeah. uh, you know, Jose just did a, an interview on Sky where they said, you know, they asked him about, well, how would you play, you know, how how are you going to play with your next club? And he's like, it depends. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what team I'm going to have. I don't know what players I'm going to have. Somebody, I think, on Twitter the other day asked about, like, you know, building a club. And I said, like, or how many transfer windows does it take to transform a, a, a club at the top level? And I'm like, well, there's no one answer. That depends on, you know, what players do they have already? You know, what league are they playing in? Uh, what's the club culture like? What's the, you know, where's the club located? Is it somewhere where players want to go? Is it someplace where you're going to have to pay a lot of money? So then what's the finance of the club? What's the youth academy like? What's the scouting like? Like, it, there's no there's no boilerplate answer for that. Like, you know, that, that answer for Ajax is going to be different than Real Madrid. You know, I mean, it, they're just going to be two completely different answers and there's going to be a whole lot of, uh, other very variations in between those two clubs. So, um, so yeah, I think that that context is huge. Like that's one of my core values is context. Always understanding the context. If we want to play this way, then players, I always tell players, if, if you don't understand what we're doing, ask why coach, why are we doing this exercise or why are you asking us to do that? Now I, I would say, if a player asks me that on a regular basis, then I'm, I got to examine what I'm doing as a coach because clearly what I'm either explaining or the activity themselves are not providing that answer. My goal is always that either the way I explain what we are doing either for the day or for that activity. And then the activity itself makes it self-explanatory why we are doing this. But if they have to ask why repeatedly, then I have to ask myself what, what's going on. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that context I think is, is huge. The context for me now at St. Croix versus what it was at Shattuck is very different. The context at Shattuck is very different than it was at the division one college level prior to that. So, um, you know, I think, again, I think people can, can forget that aspect of things as well Is that it's not, especially in this country, you know, it's the, the experience is so diverse for the, for better or worse. Um, you know, there's good aspects to it too, but like I think we touched a little bit on the federation. We just don't really have a clear direction as to if you're. If, I wouldn't want to be a player now. When I, I mean, when I when I grew up, it was like, yeah, you're not going to play in Europe because there's nothing. Okay, at least I know, right? Like, at least I know. I mean, I never had the ability anyway, but like, at least I knew. But now it's like, what's the right what's the right thing to do? I I I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine having to raise a young player with, you know, either desire, potential, ability, or a combination of those three things right now, and trying to figure out what the heck to do. It, it's 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 a mess. I got to ask you uh, the famous the famous question. I say famous like like I'm a big deal. Um, 
<laughs> hey, but, one uh, day you will, when you are, are, are a huge deal, this will be the famous question. So keep yeah, asking. Yeah. Um, what do, what do people need to know about American soccer, about youth soccer, about game models? Uh, it's a, it's a pretty broad question. I, I don't like to, to put any constraints on it, but, uh, I like hearing everybody's, everybody's, um, answer so in regards to american soccer what what do people need to know Oof. um right now i would say they really need to understand that it is an oligarchy uh that is not keeping or not i don't they say keeping because it never really has been but it is not opening up the game to everybody the way that it should be or could be. Uh, so that, and that includes players, that includes coaches, that includes administrators, that includes fans. Uh, it, in, it includes anybody who has an interest in the game to either play the game, to watch the game, or to be involved in the game, either on the sideline or in, you know, in an office somewhere. Um, it's, it's right now it's just not open I think we, we see plenty of examples of that in the last just in the last year let alone going back over the course of history got it um I gotta I gotta wrap up because I have a I have another guy waiting in the queue right now for another interview uh, yeah no worries man <laughs> where where can people connect with you where can people uh, learn learn more about what you've done either with with Shattuck or what you're up to now at St. Croix and, yeah. and, and continue the conversation with you. Sure. Uh, I mean, Twitter is probably the easiest way. And uh, it's just at Joe Deme. Uh No, no tricks. No, I'm, I am who I am. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there. So yeah, that's probably the easiest way. And my DMs are, I think they're open. So uh, yeah, no problem. Perfect. Joe, I, uh, I appreciate your time, man. And I appreciate all the, all the interactions we've had over the years. We, we've been on, uh, on opposite ends of, of certain, uh, topics and then we've agreed on many things as well. So I appreciate just the, the back and forth, man. No, that's the way it should be. Right. And we should be okay with being on opposite ends and we, it's good that we agree, but I appreciate you, uh, having me on, uh, uh you know, I love, love what you do, uh, and, and all the mediums that you do it and keep up the great work. Appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll, right. ca- we'll catch up again soon. All right, sounds good, John. Thanks a lot. All right, later, man. All right, later. All right, thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.